Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we appreciate Richard Dawkins' work in biology, not so much his social commentary. You can find us online at doubtcast.org or freethoughtblogs.com slash reasonable doubts. You can listen to us on Public Reality Radio and at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio, my fellow Doubtcasters, Mr. Jeremy Bean. Hey, everybody. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. Once again, we're missing someone. Yes, Justin Schieber is off on assignment. I think he just has a debate or just – sa- Well, he, he said in an email, sorry, guys, I'm going to be fighting Jesus until Sunday afternoon in Texas. Yeah. So I guess he's back over there doing more debates. And I feel like Jesus probably has a home court advantage in Texas. Yeah, I would so, think so. Um, that will be a rough one. Then but. we're going to fly him to Africa to cure Ebola. <laughs> Good luck to him. Um, of course, he will be back next time as well as on our next episode. We will have that uh, earlier promised Greta Christina interview. But this time we have uh, some polyatheism, a stranger than fiction – but to start off, we've got a counter-apologetics, God-thinks-like-you mashup. So the take un- it away, gentlemen. Holy child. Cue the difficult intro music. <laughs> Some of you may have listened to our episode a while back, episode 105, Are We Born to Believe? Justin Barrett wrote a book sharing a lot of the developmental psychology and uh, cognitive science behind how we form our religious beliefs, making the case that belief in deities and the supernatural is a normal phenomenon, a product of healthy modules in the brain, which we agreed with his thesis. Uh, We talked about his findings and found that, yes, indeed, it really does seem like we have this natural disposition to believe in the supernatural. One of many design flaws. As it were. Yeah. And we also pointed out having this nice, tidy, naturalistic explanation for why we believe certainly does seem to argue for naturalism. Barrett, who's usually pretty amicable towards atheists, I guess has over the past couple of years gone on the warpath on this a bit. He it leads seems. dual life in the other sorts of outlets, publishing outlets, journals and such that are for primarily for philosophy where people get together to debate matters philosophical rather than the empirical ones. He's published a number of papers defending religion from people who would use the cognitive science of religion to try to uh, present an argument against it, which I think is understandable that he would try to defend his stance. But he's also even gone further in a recent paper and tried to make the case that the findings in cognitive science of religion actually present a strange kind of defeater for atheism. Ooh. Kind of – Bizarre position, I, I think. Love when but... those come along, like that guy who's offering ten thousand dollars to prove atheism. Luke started reading through these papers and uh, seeing the case he was presenting, and, and got frustrated for reasons you're going to understand in a minute. Sent it off to me, 
And I looked at it and was frustrated on the philosophical side of things. And we decided we had to do a crossover on this episode to, to talk about his case. But it does take us into what I suppose might be unfamiliar waters for some of our uh, less philosophically inclined listeners. Like me. I kind of wanted to set up Barrett's position, the philosophical context of it. And then Luke's going to come in with the empirical data to try to show why, uh, why Barrett's case is wrong. Barrett's arguments begin by setting up a very specific approach to epistemology. Listeners who are familiar with the Christian apologist and philosopher of religion, Alvin Plattinga, uh, will be familiar with, of course, uh, his notion of warrant. The metal band? Barrett's arguing for what he calls the Plattinga-Reed theory of rational religious belief – the basic idea of it is this. We need foundational beliefs. Not all of our beliefs can be based on evidence. Some beliefs we need to actually use as our starting point, our launching point to, uh, to get our worldviews going. And this is for philosophical reasons that have been known since ancient Greece. You have the epistemic regress argument, kind of a, a classical skeptical argument against our possibility for knowledge. Everything that we believe, believe by inference, right? Every conclusion that we come to from previous propositions rests on more propositions. So if you just start cha tracing the chain of reasoning back, every conclusion leads back to another proposition, to another proposition, and we can't go back for, to, for an infinity. We, uh, we are finite beings. We can't hold a infinite string of propositions in our mind so that our beliefs can't possibly be justified is the epistemic regress argument. So you could see one way to counter that skeptical objection to our ability to know is to try to say, well, here, we've found a basis. We've found a set of beliefs that do not need any inferential justification. They don't need to be proven by other facts. He called them bedrock, bedrock beliefs. Yabba-dabba-doo. So far, that's just foundationalism in epistemology. They also point out if we were to demand evidence of a justification kind, propositional evidence or empirical evidence even for all of our beliefs, many of our most foundational beliefs might be ruled out as unjustified or irrational. Again, these are all the other classical skeptical arguments. What about the existence of other minds? Why is this an external world? How do we trust the validity of logic? Why do we trust in our memory? Why do we trust our sensations and that sort of thing? Many of the reasons that we could give for belief in other minds, we're not going to be able to prove them empirically or provide a huge amount of rational support for them. But do we have to doubt these things? Do we have to doubt these most basic aspects of our existence? No. In this account of epistemology, we actually have cognitive faculties that produce beliefs where logic and experience fail. We actually know a lot of things, and we know them in an immediate, non-inferential way, right? So we get around that epistemic regress problem by showing that we do know some things just directly when they're produced by these cognitive faculties. That's why we can actually survive in this world without being philosophers. But listeners might remember the types of research that we discussed that Barrett does is research with children that shows that they have inherent teleological beliefs that things are caused by stuff or that theory of mind is that if I perceive you as an agent, not just a rock or an object, but 
as a something living that you have intentions and you have a mind like me. And so they are little and, modules that right. evolve for you. And to. these studies of Barrett's are very well regarded, right? Yeah. He does some really good work. And confirmed through yeah. other people too. As sure. There's a whole cottage industry now of research with children where you're investigating their theory of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like for example, the um, on the autism spectrum, one of the theories is the autistic or Asperger's children have impaired theory of mind because they don't produce the intuitions that others have mm-hmm. independent thoughts mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that. So there's, there's a wide area in developmental psychology that studies those modules and, and the intuitions that they produce. This epistemological approach, it, it pretty accurately represents the way we actually do come to have knowledge of the world, right? We really do have these cognitive faculties that are producing a lot of our beliefs in rather immediate ways, unreflective ways even, for our most basic beliefs about the world. You know, and then we do the ordinary work of reason. We do still reason uh, and draw inferences from, from propositions. We learn things from observation and experiment. Uh, But I guess the point is even what we learn from observation and experiment also rests on some of these cognitive faculties too. Nature works in uniform ways and logic is valid, things that we really can't prove but seem to be uh, intuitive to us. So basically what they're setting up with his uh, Plantinga-Reedian epistemology is – They're arguing for what they call the presumption of innocence. We ought to trust the deliverances of our cognitive faculties unless reason provides us with substantial grounds for questioning that belief. So thank goodness everybody, right? I can just trust the fact that you guys aren't zombies until somebody comes along and gives me really good evidence that you guys might be zombies. I don't have to doubt. I don't have to provide or furnish an argument for why you must be human. That is a very helpful I can trust that intuition. Yeah. So this is where we get to God. Because of the work that Barrett and several others have done, now it looks like we have a natural faculty of the mind that governs how we arrive at our religious beliefs. And so you can see where this is going, right? The presumption of innocence says we ought to trust these faculties until we've been given serious reason to doubt them, to question their reliability for forming true beliefs. And which, by the way, he lives in a world where a lot of the other – almost all the other researchers who do this sort of – Thing on modules and intuitions argue an evolutionary byproduct theory. That is, those things evolved yep. through the course of evolution for uh, uh, for different reasons, that uh, survival and, and and such. That I, you know, you would have a hard time surviving if you didn't have good social mm-hmm. theory of mind. And it didn't require any religion-specific purpose. There are people who say that these evolved mechanisms are adaptive. That is, religion provides benefits. But most people say that the modules are just there for non-religious reasons. Therefore, they don't favor religion in any way necessarily. Again, the idea of the byproduct is that the religious cognitions that come out of it are kind of accidental, just due to, you know, completely different faculties pointed in different directions, like Jesse Baring's idea, right, that part of the reason why we have what he called the dualism faculty is really just our overactive theory of mind and we cannot uh, shut it off. So that combined with our memory makes it very tempting for us to to project the thoughts of dead relatives. One of those things that's aiding to this general belief in, in dualism. So this is a world where people uh, discuss you know, non-religious, naturalistic, evolution-type explanations for things and apparently mm-hmm. you know, Justin Barrett as an evangelical Christian lives in this world where he's – Hearing all this and then 
He has a different yeah. explanation. And his idea is, boy, this sounds a lot like Calvin's sensus divinitatis, doesn't it? It sounds like that kind of yearning for God or basic knowledge or understanding of the, of the deity that has been implanted into us by the creator himself, right? Of course, Barrett and Clark are not so bold to say that's exactly what's happening. We didn't mention Clark before. Oh, well, Barrett has teamed up with Kelly Clark, a professor of philosophy here in Grand Rapids and at I Calvin College. And I voted for her when she was on American Idol. Yeah. That's her son, Clark's son. Kelly Clark is, is a male or female? Male. Male, okay. Um, He's actually uh, criticized me in the newspaper before. The article is is uh, right around the corner in the CFI office. It's hmm. actually pasted to the wall. But yeah, he claims that I must have turned to uh, atheism because I uh, wanted to find justification for some of the wicked deeds I must be desiring to do or well, <laughs> something like that. Well, actually. Like, this, uh, this not I'll knowing me at all. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so yes, I, I got slandered by Kelly Clark in the, that's in the Grand Rapids That's press. why you took this on. No, yeah, I'm just <laughs> oh, really I'm trying to get back this is one all of those these years later. He wanted to do. I'll make Kelly Clark cry with my counter-apologetics. <laughs> I guess the core of Barrett's case, now that we have that epistemology as the backdrop, right – they're shifting kind of the burden of proof on us since we have this faculty for religious belief and we can generally trust our faculties, mm. right? The presumption of innocence says, well, then people are justified in God until you give them a good reason why they can't. Should to we... those of us who say like, like Luke and I who have said that these naturalistic explanations show that the religious beliefs are not really tenable anymore, he has this defense. He says that God could have designed us in such a way – that we came to have knowledge of him through these faculties. Because God designed us to get a faint sense of what something might exist like. Key to this is that he's defending his position. He's not advancing this as a scientific hypothesis. He's not saying, look, the science proves God is real. What he is saying is that I can go on believing God is real and have a rational belief that he's real, because I can rationally trust my faculties that produce these religious beliefs. But he is arguing that the, the scientific evidence of the, what we talked about doesn't disprove God yes. first. So simultaneously, those two things. For example, the psychological research that beliefs uh, can be biased or that beliefs can be produced like you know zapping somebody's brain in a certain area. We've talked about in that podcast before with like magnets mm-hmm. causes paranormal experiences. He's suggesting that those things, uh, you can't deny them, they're results, but that they don't mean that the naturally occurring, I guess he would qualify it as, the naturally occurring output of the brain doesn't actually detect real external God-type data just mm-hmm. because you can do this in pairs. So he gives a couple parables like, you know, suppose I'm telling you that there's a bird outside my window singing. Just because you can describe the neural pathways about how bird song works doesn't mean that that bird isn't actually there. Yeah. I mean it's it's a good point to a badly framed critique <laughs> He does quote somebody in that paper who said – a philosopher who should have known better. Um, Stephen Strawman? Is that the guy? Yeah. yeah. We I should do. make C- Stephen Strawman t-shirts. <laughs> we should. Scooby Steve Strawman. <laughs> he quotes somebody as saying, you know, uh, uh, religious beliefs cannot be both the product of ad- evolution and be a response to something that's actually divine and just kind of, you know, mm. dusts their hands off. And he just points out the obvious – fact that, you know, if you turn that around, we could say the same thing about minds, right? 
our perceptions of people can't be both the result of natural selection and be a response to actual persons. Well, we would never say that, right? We know some of the things that we believe. We might have a natural inclination to believe that the world consists of matter or that other people have minds. But lo and behold, he says, the world does consist of matter and people do have minds. So just because we can explain this naturally isn't enough. But I think that was never really the way most of us critiqued this position anyway. That God caused these beliefs is kind of an extraordinary explanation, right? Mm-hmm. It's the it's rather the all the metaphysical stuff you have to import to make that case. And if you have an entirely naturalistic explanation, why would you go for the extraordinary, unfalsifiable explanation? And this is where he pulls his epistemology on us because he says, look, if we want to say that these God faculties are unreliable – like we're just kind of assuming when people make form beliefs about supernatural agents causing things out there because of our hyperactive agency detection or our theory of mind. If we want to just assume that those faculties are an error, we need to prove that God's not on the other end of them. Uh, to show the God faculty is undermined by evolution, one would need to show that God was not the ultimate cause of our God beliefs. I could say, well, look, this person believes that there is – a person in the room talking to mm-hmm. them. All we have to do is prove, oh, no, this person actually is schizophrenic or whatever. There is no other person in the room. Right. Therefore, Their faculties are misfiring. So, And we can do that with people yeah. who have who have irrational beliefs. And he's saying with God, we can't get the error rate. Right, right. We'd so, have to have yeah. one room where God does exist and one room where God we, doesn't exist. We would have and, to know there were not really supernatural agents in the room yeah. causing these things. Mm-hmm. So and you would say that it's circular. That is, it's, it's a begging question begging to right. say that there isn't yeah. a God, to assume that there isn't a God causing that. Or it would be special pleading because part of this is the faculties that produce religious belief are the exact same faculties that produce all of these other beliefs that we depend mm-hmm. on every day. Right. So then he calls that part the, yeah. the suicidal self-inflicted yeah. implication of this, and that is if they're unreliable for producing these God beliefs and therefore God doesn't exist. Then they're means, unreliable. That means a lot of all our other, you know, how do we know that anything uh, yeah. is reliable and, and true? We might even be committing to extreme skepticism here if we insist that these religious cognitions have to be false, that they have to be an error. That's when he's going more on the attack. He also uh, critiques those who would evoke Occam's razor at this point, right? If we're going to say, hey, look, simplicity just rules out uh, God, we should shave off that extra hypothesis in trying to account for these beliefs. He actually concedes part of the point. Quote, we concede there's no reason to appeal to a god to explain the data of cognitive and evolutionary psychology of religion. The scientific practice of cognitive and evolutionary psychology of religion following Occam's razor should not countenance the existence of God in their scientific theories concerning the God faculty. So he's not, you know, trying to say science proves God. He goes on to say, but the Redian, again, he's referring to his epistemology, does not offer God as a hypothesis that provides a better or more complete scientific explanation of religious belief. That's not why they're bringing it up. In fact, the Redian doesn't offer God as a hypothesis at all. And if God is not a scientific hypothesis or theory, the principle of simplicity is simply irrelevant. So, yeah, I guess he's not trying to prove God and he's not trying to stick God in the theory. He is just saying at the end of the day, it could be 
that a god is behind all these cognitions, and so we have no way to say that they're faulty. Can he just abandon simplicity like that? That to me is sort of – OK. So that, that was my stepping off point for rationality is where you acknowledge clearly that there is a principle of that simplest explanation should be preferred. If you have a mm-hmm. naturalistic, mm-hmm. simple mechanism to explain things like the evolutionary psych modules were there, naturalistically evolved, they're acknowledging that that's a simpler explanation but saying that it doesn't apply to God beliefs. So this mm-hmm. is where the part of my brain is screaming, mm-hmm. why doesn't that apply? Mm-hmm. What are the standards to say that some things are hypotheses? under which simplicity should rule, but these other God stuff things are not hypotheses. I suppose because he feels at the moment he has warrant to believe in God, right? He thinks these modules give him warrant to believe. And again, we can make the simplicity argument to cut it off as a scientific hypothesis, but... If what he's referring to with that is that these intuitions, that the belief is based on on intuitions, but one of the things he mentions close by, if not the same place, was that religious people have other reasons that validate their intuition. So yes, intuitions can be unreliable. Theory of mind, agencies sometimes are over-detecting things. But there are other things that come along and validate them. Mm-hmm. was what the what I took to mean that it's not just a hypothesis that it's confirmed through other methods like rational methods but as we here's my empirical objection if there is no clear distinction between your intuitions and your rational faculties or if you are familiar with like some of the research on Daniel Kahneman on system 1 system 2 mm-hmm. system 1 being automatic implicit unconscious system 2 being rational analytical. Well, half of what I've covered on this entire podcast for the past decade, it seems like, has been that your system two stuff that you think is analytical, that you think is rational, that you learn class, is often based on biases that are intuitional, that are unconscious, that you don't even know about. Therefore, and there's tons of experiments that I've talked about, so what people tend to do is have an intuition, God exists, I feel, you know, for whatever motivational reasons even, makes me feel better, whatever existential stuff, I got to justify that. And then they come in with the rational stuff to make a case for Mm -hmm. what originally was derived at through non-rational reasons. Yeah, I agree. So my whole point is that if he's saying that that what makes religious beliefs not a hypothesis is that you can go after, check your intuitions and say, yeah, this is justified because, you know, the cosmological whatever argument, that is a distinction that does not exist in empirical yeah. psychology. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's his actual argument though. I, I don't think he's saying God is not a hypothesis in that it has stronger standing than a hypothesis. He's absolutely fine that God is not in cognitive science of religion anywhere. He doesn't want to see that as an explanation for these phenomena. He doesn't think there's anything scientific about it. It's outside of it's outside of that discipline. What he's saying is in his own metaphysics, which includes something more than the natural world, he feels he has some warrant for still believing in that because he can show these come from these biological processes. We can argue simplicity to cut out God as a scientific hypothesis, but it's a little bit harder to just evoke simplicity and Occam's razor to just shave off metaphysical realities off of, off of somebody's worldview. Basically, this is why he thinks it's OK to abandon simplicity outside of science. If we're committed to simplicity with absolute devotion in all areas of human inquiry, then the simplest hypothesis for other minds is solipsism. I, I'm the only one that exists. That's not the most or simple Or the external one. world would be accounted for by mental phenomena. 
if my hypothesis is that either you're really a person independent of me talking to yeah. you right now versus I'm in the matrix. Right. And that really this is all a And everything exists within and that your robot, head. That second one is not simpler. It requires you to go beyond that or like somehow you're a zombie who's animated who's to look like you're he's, – It's less simple. He's, the more um, simple explanation is, is that you are a person with an actual mind. He's, he's kind of taking the Berkeley route like strictly speaking – if it's simplicity, we don't need One to accept – One thing existing yeah, is more simple than two as things in, existing. In Occam's, in Occam's scheme, right, you don't want to multiply entities without precedent. Yes. Now, he doesn't believe this is a good way of thinking, but what he's trying to show is a kind of reductio. He's, he's, he's saying, look, if we were to really, really strictly apply Occam's razor, we would have to say, well, maybe the fact that this is all just created in my mental world and I'm dreaming this mm-hmm. posits one entity. That w- how, <laughs> right. No, that does not. Reality survives Occam's razor because that's the simplest explanation is that it really exists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to agree with you, but I want to explain. No, there, but, are, there are outputs that are false. That is the things that I have that are illusions, but we can show that to be so. We, the reason we can make that claim is that this is an optical illusion or a cognitive illusion. Right. Is because we can set up an experiment to compare and say, you know, Dave's seeing things unrealistically. So his output is not accurate. His yeah. intuition is is wrong, right. but we've shown that externally through right. science. And then we can kind of calibrate when our when our perceptual faculties are working and when they aren't. That's part of his defense of saying we're kind of begging the question by assuming there aren't these supernatural entities out here that we're picking up, that the agents aren't actually real. We would need to conclusively know that they weren't real before we could say that we're misfiring no, when we perceive them. It would just be them. a Laplace thing. We have no need of that hypothesis. If we have a simple naturalistic mechanism, why should we go around looking for one that's more complicated rather than just saying we have an explanation? This guy well, is epistemologizing all over simplicity. Am I being obtuse here? Or what? Being familiar with epistemologies of this kind, in fact, I'm even pretty close to a rather secular version of it. There's something deeper going on here. Philosophers, epistemologists particularly, they want to be able to grant some of our basic intuitions. They, they don't want a scheme where our philosophy makes us deny or doubt all of the experiences around us. They want to ground our intuitions to some degree if knowledge is to have real meaning. Uh, or maybe another way of saying that is we want to say that the average person and not just the philosopher knows things. So if we tried to justify our belief in other minds, our belief in an external world and all that stuff through these kind of abductive arguments, through these simplicity in Occam's razor abductive arguments. Abductive you're arguing to the best explanation. What that would imply to the epistemologist is, look then, the majority of people out there who believe in – these common sense things like a real world, they're not arriving at this by a conclusion derived from Occam's razor. If we say we need that to justify these things in the face of skepticism, then we're basically saying that most people out there, they believe in other minds, but they don't know. Most people aren't justified in in most of the things they believe. And so they look at that and they just say, that's a really narrow version of knowledge. And it's a disturbingly narrow one because we would then have to turn on a lot of the other things we believe like logic, the validity of causation and probability theory. We would have to look at all of these things and say there's just so so many unproven assumptions in these theories. That's part of why they want to switch to this criteria of warrant. 
we have a warranted belief when our our beliefs are the product of reliable cognitive faculties, and some of the conditions of that are the faculties are actually designed for the purpose of arriving at some of these beliefs. That's where I get off the train, right on condition yeah, one, not right? Designed to produce that. They don't seem to be designed to produce that. Warranted when they're used in the correct domain, when they're functioning properly, meaning they get you in a proper relation to the object that you are perceiving. That's question begging. How right. do, who decides mm-hmm. what's the proper relationship versus you're being fooled by them? Well, the what would set the proper relationship is how the, the design of the faculty. So what we would say, right, the faculty for theory of mind is meant to help us to understand people and maybe the behavior of some animals in our environment. The theory of mind doesn't necessarily yield accurate output of other minds. It gives us the intuition that other minds exist, but it's the the reigning theory here, the one that makes the most sense, is that it's enable us to survive and thrive in a social group by being able to understand, you know, like Dave has this intention towards Jeremy who mm-hmm. might be this much way towards me. He's my friend. Interestingly enough, a lot of those things don't rely on accurate information. In fact, with things like self-deception, lying, even mm-hmm. sociopathy and psychopaths, there's a lot of information showing that you're that you're better off if you believe your own BS, and mm-hmm. that the and therefore your theory of mind might give you yeah. inaccurate things that are beneficial because they're inaccurate. I think that's the way I've you. always approached life. I, yeah, yeah, it makes you the more manipulative aspect. Like sometimes the more functional people are the ones who are self-deceivers. Their output about themselves is systematically inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So are you going to argue in that case that that theory of mind it gives is properly functioning when it's the most accurate? That's not true. When it's in its accurate context. Yeah, if what he's saying is it gives accurate feedback about the outside, theory of mind does not give accurate. I'm laying out the the conditions of us being able to say we trust these faculties. Well, you can't trust them. Here's the other thing that we haven't really mentioned is that they provide a lot of intuitions among which are religion, but also a bunch of other things like cause and effect reasoning. They talk a lot about teleology. Things happen for a reason. Kids tend to think think up reasons for things like why mm-hmm. the rocks are pointy is because it animals could scratch them. One of the things that teleology produces gone wild or overactive teleology is things like... I've seen that video, teleology teleology gone gone wild. wild. Yeah, Yeah. it's good. One thing that happens with overactive teleology is things like a just world belief or like we talked about in the past couple episodes like witchcraft and evil eye. That is, you think that things must have a reason even though they don't and it leads you to posit a lot of agents causing stuff to happen that aren't really there or existentially that events are happening because of some bigger plan. It doesn't have to be a religious explanation. In fact, many atheists mm-hmm. might have overactive teleology or when they have this quasi like paranormal stuff like karma mm-hmm. or you know everything happens for a reason basically. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're designed to, to detect religious agents and if and if you do argue that they pr- detect a lot of agents that are not really what a religious especially a Christian would acknowledge. Right. Elves, fairies, and they even acknowledge this in the article. I don't know. Maybe you have the quote there where they say, oh, a lot of these things like, you know, witches and elves and fairies and sprites are generated by these modules. Well, how Mm -hmm. do you – here's my question. How do you tell the difference between accurate output, i.e. Jesus of Nazareth, and inaccurate output, as in witches and elves and fairies, which they dismiss like, oh, that's just primitive stuff. What's the difference between God and a fairy? I thought that was a whopper of a problem. So, you know, this whole census divinitatis and related theories are predicated on a certain level of specificity. 
but not too much specificity. Yeah. We have a sense – here's what there seems to me that they're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong. We have a sense that God exists because God put it there, but it's not specific to Yahweh or Buddha or whatever. Which is the problem we always mm-hmm. run into with this kind of so, argument. Yeah. Here's my question. How – what reason do we have to think that a general output is accurate, that God could in fact exist because we have that intuition, but not a specific output that a witch exists? What yeah. reason do they say that we have to be able to detect or, the, the, the proper level of Or more to the focus? point, a specific output that the Christian God exists or whichever God it is that you are choosing to believe if in If it's exists. accurate and if there's agents out there that exist, what external criteria to the system is there to check? And say, yeah. well, that's that's a proper output yeah. that's functioning properly, but that's not. Well, that's where I was going to go with that. Is he's demanding that we need to prove God doesn't exist to say these aren't accurate predictions? But in a way, I, I think he almost needs to say, what is the degree of accuracy they have, or else we can't tell. These generate false positives. You wouldn't even need to know that a God exists or the supernatural exists to know that they must be coming up with false positives because they support so many different and contradictory religious experiences and ideas that many of them, the majority of them, have to be wrong. I was going to say, so, what, what is the, the balance there of false ideas that we're going right. to versus accurate ones? Right. And I can grant them their little notion of the presumption of innocence as far as, yeah, if we don't know anything yet about that faculty, go with it. You think there's another person in the room? There's another person in the room. Have your fun. But since we know how errant these things are, I think that creates a situation where he really does need to be able to tell us when are they tracking truth and when are they not. Clark and Barrett say – and here they're recognizing that science, in fact, might winnow away incorrect intuitions. Quote, such surface impurities and unclarities might include elves and fairies. And then he also says the theists shouldn't be concerned that these false religious beliefs are winnowed away by increases in knowledge. Indeed, the proper role of reason in these cases is to assist in the rejection of false, finite, or defective religious beliefs. So they should be supporting our attempt to prove that God is a false. His idea is these false positives are really – they're not so much a problem because all God wanted to do or all the faculty must be directed at is just general idea of the define. And once that gets in place, people eventually learn and progress in knowledge and theology comes along like more reflective ways of forming beliefs. Mm-hmm. And we'll weed out some of the the false positives, right? We'll have reason to cast Such some doubt Such as belief in those. God, for example. But it's so bizarre it's, the way he says how. Luke actually skipped a sentence in there. I didn't understand it, so I, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he said, let me, let me read the full quote because this is, this is mind-boggling. Again, this is how he's ruling out fairies and elves, uh, but not gods. He says, subsequent increases in human knowledge, especially as one becomes aware of the natural explanations of phenomena previously accounted for by, say, elves or nature gods. He just said he's going to strip off these false cognitions when they become aware that there's natural explanations for them. That was a blooper. That had to be. How did that get past them? How because did they write I don't think that he and noticed. not go, oh, wait, this undermines everything we said? Because when he was writing his thesis to defend God against cognitive science of religion, he was just thinking in terms of the standards he needed 
to mount mm-hmm. his defense. When he started talking about, you know, religious beliefs and uh, why Christianity is superior to these other silly nature god concepts and stuff, he he slipped back into his ordinary way of yeah. thinking, which is, yeah, they're they're bunk if if you have natural I explanations feel like for them. He disproved his own <laughs> argument in the article where he was arguing for it. He makes enough other contentions there that you could scratch that out and still... uh, One would say that everyone's an atheist in that they winnow beliefs, but that atheist just winnows one god further. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what... Isn't that essentially what we're talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But either way, uh, there was an interesting just direct challenge to his idea. One rebuttal to the the Barrett and Clark hypothesis was by Derek Laban. Uh, in 2014, actually, this year, he published an article in the Philosophical Psychology Journal called When Psychology Undermines Beliefs, primarily dealing with some of Barrett's arguments. To Barrett's charge that, you know, we can't say for sure these modules aren't tracking truth if we can't prove a god exists, Laban calls him out. He says this is a retroactive error theory, <laughs> he calls it. He said then it basically it would be that all psychological explanations can only retroactively show why uh, beliefs are undermined. They never have direct epistemic consequences bef- uh, for a belief before it's falsified. So I, I, I haven't read the full paper but I think he's hinting at this is not how we do things in psychology generally. <laughs> the thing that popped into my mind when I was reading that is uh, those studies we did a while ago where people were imputing personhood to a computer – an agency to a computer. Yeah, How do we know the computer isn't really an agent? Basically what Barrett is suggesting with his retroactive error theory here, and if Barrett were to defend himself by saying, well, it's just, you know, I'm saying this just for the divine because those things are not observable, right? It's the same thing because, you know, with religious beliefs like animism, ordinary objects were endowed with spirits and agency. Mm, so. He has no reason from the start to favor Christian-like concepts as being cool and legitimate right. and these silly little animistic ideas to be wrong. Right. I would think every time you know your studies, Luke, that you talked about where they put an eye spot on the wall and people start feeling they're surveilled, <laughs> why isn't that a spirit or a gremlin or something else, a real agent – Inside that, the evil eye staring at you, you know? Barrett can't give us a reason why those aren't legitimate cognitions. But but anyways, that's not even Laban's point. He provides what he calls the redundancy argu- argument. We do have a way to tell if a faculty of cognition is improperly sensitive towards its target. And we have a way of telling that that doesn't even involve any claims about the target source itself. So he's saying he can satisfy Barrett's challenge and not have to prove a god and still prove these are unreliable. And the argument's really simple. He just says uh, uh, beliefs that would be held regardless of the truth value of their content are undermined. If there were no God or afterlife or soul, would the mechanisms for agency detection and theory of mind still produce the same kind of intuitions? Yes. These beliefs are going to be held no matter what. How can we tell they're sensitive to anything, mm-hmm. right? And what was interesting about his point uh, when I was thinking about it is you really can't say this for any other kind of psychological faculty. I couldn't – you know, if I were going to say if there were no such thing as minds – would theory of mind still produce the same kind of uh, intuitions? No, absolutely not. 
if there were no such thing as contaminated foods and that sort of thing, would would our uh, would we still develop the same kind of intuitions about cleanliness and purity and that sort of thing? You know, see, probably not. If well, see, here's where, if those weren't driving the behaviors, so how do we check on the existence of the reasons for the behavior? How do we can we rule out why the th- it's usually done empirically through a comparison of conditions? Yeah. So, for example, my he one of the papers that we're talking about by Clark and Barrett had a cutesy title of uh, where he said, um, you know, should cognitive science of religion give atheists epistemic assurance? The subtitle is On Beer Goggles, Belief Performing Functions and Skepticism Regarding Religious Beliefs. Then what caught my eye was the beer goggles part. I'm like, oh, this is fun. So the, the par- Sounds like something you'd be into. Yeah. yeah. So his parable of the beer goggles is let's say that the atheist is a designated driver and he goes to a bar and the friends are drunk. And uh, atheist is like, ah, there's nobody attractive here, not a lot of attractive people. Mm-hmm. But everybody else is like, oh, the place is full of hotties. I thought of that uh, – uh, that Jack Black movie where he's seeing things different. Oh, yeah, 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 but yeah, yes. uh, and so and so the the atheist is really the odd person out here in that they are not seeing an attractiveness, whereas everybody else sees it. Now They're he says not wearing the beer goggles. Yeah, so he were. says now uh, the atheist would be would be thinking, well, everybody else thinks that there's attractive hotties there because they're wearing beer goggles and that they'll change their mind. But then he says one possibility is that they have beer goggles, but there might be other reasons why these people. Think find that the people attractive, attractive and the atheists. You know, so, for yeah. example, maybe they were uh, they were told that this place was ranked as a top spot, you know, uh, for attractive people, and the atheists didn't know that, or um, that the um, you know there's he was generating other possibilities why the other people might maybe think they that have lower you. standards. Maybe their standards are different than yours. There, but his point was there's no way to know who is right, and so he replies this back to our religious argument here, is saying a defender of theism might simply reply. Uh, that the belief for forming functions, those modules that have intuitions, are appropriately tuned uh, because God wanted it that way, in the same way that your friends at the nightclub might have additional reasons for regarding the places full of attractive singles. My solution to that as an empiricist to whether to check whether my friends or myself would have who's right about the level of attractiveness is do an experiment. Okay, have half yeah. of them, which Luke be, actually does well, at the bar, which this, we've done by the way in clear. graduate school. Half the people <laughs> get assigned alcohol, the other half don't, and then we'll see whether it's uh, individual differences mm-hmm. or sure. have half of them get a bogus article that says the place is full of attractive people, and the other half the opposite, and then compare. That is, we can check independently through conditions whether feedback from modules is in fact accurate. Yeah. In fact, that's what we've done. They've done that in all these psychological studies. We can check. Yeah. All kinds of output. I, I think you're right and he's underestimating the value of that. But I will say you, that was only half of his argument. That's actually where he was going. He was saying in the beer goggles scenario, we can rule it out because we because we can strip away the conditions and see what was really directed at the object and what was just – Faulty beer goggles. And stuff. he's saying God's not and like And he's that. saying God's not like that. But I'm we saying can't it, take doesn't off the God goggles. it doesn't yeah. change anything. God is like that. That is, to me, it says it requires a metaphysical commitment to say, but you can't test the faculties pertaining to God because you don't know whether God exists or not. Mm-hmm. If, the feed, if you can design an exact same situation, let's say the brain zapping one, because he talks about that. If mm-hmm. I can zap your brain, activate your temporal lobe modules, and then cause you to come out of the scanner saying, God was with me in the room. Mm-hmm. All right, and then another person is spontaneously walking around and says, 
I felt God's with me walking now. If your argument is is that we can't tell uh, which one is right and which one's wrong, I call BS on that. We've just manipulated that. We've activated it. Or prim- a priming study, if you don't like the brain zapping one. We can get, like we've talked about tongue speaking. We can get people yeah. in a room with tongue speakers and get them tongue speaking in an indistinguishable way from anything else. But we can further do that with the belief content too. We can yeah. get people through social manipulation, priming, like you mentioned, the computer study. That mm-hmm. one found that uh, causing people to feel lonely or tell them that they are socially isolated increases their anthropomorphizing their computer, their pet, and mm. their belief in God. So it's not specific to God, but mm-hmm. social isolation primes the need to see God everywhere. Oh, you just mm-hmm. described my mother. See, so, this is what I think Barrett, Barrett would say. So what we're building a case for is even independent of knowing God out, out there, we, we could just show these things are faulty all the time. If it's, manipul- it's, if it's a laboratory manipulation, it's not God driving it unless in, the, in his omniscience he chose to make you manipulate He's them. He's using in that, that, way. Uh, that machine. I don't even Man. think Barrett would mount that kind of defense. So we're saying theory of mind directed at supernatural agents is riddled with all sorts of errant attributions. I think Barrett actually conceded that. He, I think he actually conceded that, like, you know, this is far less than 50% of the time they're right. But what he would say is, and, and you already affirmed, was it's the same thing for ordinary mind attributions, right? You were just saying earlier in the, in the segment, you know, even our ordinary theory of mind operating in the, con- in the context that it should be, directed at the kind of agents it was meant to detect, is still – Really unreliable, and we valid right? and we validate yeah. that it's unreliable through the type of procedures that I'm talking about. In the same yeah. way that in the same well, way that we can validate whether the gods and are. that's why he that's why where he pulls the twist right. Well, then why do you still believe your attributions of mind? Right? Well, I why don't, is that's it why that I'm a psychologist? I you didn't walk in when you saw Dave and I today. You didn't stop and say, "Well, the most parsimonious explanation is that they really are thinking." You just saw us and you trusted your, your faculties of mind, even though you know that in some areas they're going to be errant. For the real general thing that other minds are in the room with you, that's getting the job done. And that's what he's trying to say about this census divinus totus. He's saying it's uh, this God faculty is coarse-grained. You know, it doesn't, doesn't get very fine revolution, just like our other theory of mind. If you're going to be critical, you, you either have to become an absolute skeptic and say, I don't believe the minds around me, or you got to admit some of these, these beliefs produced by our, uh, by our God faculties, some of them might be legitimate. And most social psychologists know is that you're trained to recognize, on one hand, the experience of your theory of mind, oh, that's whatever, but also at the same time to doubt whether that's true or not. And that's where your system two comes in mm-hmm. and says, my output about you is not what you're really yeah. like. When I walk, say I'm irritated with you, which I often am, and I might walk away saying, Jeremy said, crap, 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 negative, negative. Right away, I know that you know because of the research that I'm aware of, I'm probably selectively going back through and, and changing you. Right. The way that I saw you is not the way that you really are, and I don't think that my theory of mind was accurate about you. Oh, so, thanks. <laughs> but other times it works the opposite way, and I'm like, he really shafted me on that one, and he meant to. So. I guess our BFFs are not appropriately tuned. So if his argument is, is that, well, why don't you doubt your, all your uh, uh, belief-forming functions about anything else? I do doubt them. As well as everybody else should too. But not on a practical moment-to-moment living your life 
bases. But Interestingly, not in can, their most general conclusions. Right, right. Interestingly, you can alter that too. We've talked before on this show about research that shows that people who are less checking are less likely to doubt their things, and you can manipulate too by forcing people to be under load, what's called cognitive mm-hmm. load, where you stress them out or distract them. What we find is that people who have more intuitive ways of thinking tend to be more religious. And I guess a lot of people would argue that's why they're more religious is because the more analytical people do check their beliefs more often and say – like we mentioned, that's the um, problems that that are – seem immediately solvable. But really you have to think about them and they're fooling you. Mm -hmm. You have to go back and check yourself. That's related to how – religious or not somebody is. And the more analytical people do check themselves and say, wait a minute, more than religious people do. Yeah. Is that a coincidence? I think not. Yeah. I do want to preserve my right to trust some of the general conclusions of our theory of mind and that sort of thing. But at, mm-hmm. uh, at, the, at the same time, uh, I was contemplating how I might be more of a radical skeptic than even I would like to acknowledge. Because like one of the things he was throwing in there was in, in his kind of reading epistemology is that we can trust a basic kind of ego theory of self, that sort of thing. And I'm just thinking like – no, they could try to import free will and belief in a kind of indivisible, unchanging, essential self. And uh, yeah, I actually really do think even though we have things in our brain that prompt us to believe that way, uh, they, they are hopelessly deluded. And so are we making the Darwin error he's warning us about? Because Darwin had a famous quote where he said what Christians think is that he gave away in his doubts and his musings, yeah. he gave away his lack of surety about his own things. If I'm right, then nothing I think is checkable. Would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? Barrett brings this up as Darwin's doubt. (laughs) We moved into the territory that he wanted to get us into because he's going to say, look, if our evolved faculties are that unreliable, even in the situations they were meant for, what reason do we have to trust our faculties at all if they were evolved? I mean, we must be admitting that evolution oh equipped us. I'm going to have a conniption. But this is why I'm saying the way we answer these arguments matters, right? Because there's implications. That's, the entire and, scientific and philosophical endeavor is 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 saying why how you check things. That's the process of science is to acknowledge that you don't know and then you check them. By the way, but, just watching Luke what, today, you, you guys are yeah. missing out listening to this because I have never seen Luke quite so frustrated with a, a set of arguments in my life, and it's highly entertaining. You're kind of feeding into his end critique. When we say, you know, hey, theist, your God module is not tracking truth. It's getting false positives all the time. He says, you know, they're usually trustworthy, but they cry wolf from time to time. But the atheist can't say this. If this faculty is completely broken and it's not tracking anything, these aren't false positives. Belief-forming faculties are totally unreliable. We can't trust any of our faculties at all on naturalism. He says that's only true if atheism or naturalism is true because uh, evolution then crafted these faculties and they didn't have to be truth tracking. They didn't – they could be completely false. So how do we trust logic? How do we trust any of these things? He says that's the position we end up in if we dismiss the reliability of our faculties in, in their most general conclusions. My way around that is I think this is just the evolutionary argument from naturalism again that we saw Plantinga make. He's just kind of bringing this into his domain now 
And we know how we we know how we make up for faculties that are errant. We, like you said, we check them out. We triangulate them. We check them with our other faculties, and we do more than that. We use our reason. We use the technology of our thought and our inventions, right, to investigate further into this and figure out when we're making errors or not, and come to the right conclusion. And plus, the level um, of checking is is adjusted to the detailedness of the thing being checked. Is it true that Jeremy has a mind and he actually exists? And, you know, I take that for granted when I walk past you in the street or something like that. And you don't check that out, do you, atheist? Well, yeah, but that's not suggesting all these other things that a God hypothesis would expect me to check. It's a much more elaborate, detailed prediction rather than just Jeremy has a mind. Some things are more easily checkable than others. Mm -hmm. And so why don't I doubt that, but I doubt the God thing? Because those are two totally different levels of hypothesis. Yeah, Nobody's, I agree. I, when I see you in the street, I don't say Jeremy performed miracles and was bodily resurrected from the dead and you know, and impregnated a teenage girl. You're skeptical about things and you take other things for just granted on the basis of the, the elaborateness of, of the hypothesis. Yeah. Some things are, are just quick and dirty you can do away with, and, and, but other things aren't. And, and God existing is not a quick and dirty Jeremy has a mind level hypothesis. Yeah, no, I, d- I don't think so either. And in fact, they, they all but admit that because if you remember all the criteria for warrant that I said earlier, they got to be designed to prove those beliefs. They got to be functioning properly and in the right context. They have to be aimed at truth. And yet he admits these religious faculties are so coarse-grained that all they're really going to show is a vague sense of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the case— the only thing you have warrant to believe, and this is just accepting their own logic, the only thing you have warrant to believe from those faculties is a vague sense of the supernatural. Right. So they really don't. They can't claim their belief in God it is does not properly basic. God. It certainly doesn't conclude yeah. Christian God. It just concludes. See, they can't. Just seems they so... can't equate this with Calvin's no. census divinitatis. They so can't even. Co- talk yeah. To me. Well, I, I think in the end we've offered a lot of objections, but. He was basically just trying to set us up into a, you know, a kind of forced choice. Either we accept some of these supernatural attributions might be real or we have to doubt everything. You know, we kind of tried to address him in that context. But I think you could make just an overall argument. I thought what Justin brought up, what, two episodes ago? Our Justin. About the idea that, um, you know, sometimes general level facts can really look like they provide support for some idea. And then when you get into the specifics, you find it actually goes the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. The general fact that religion arises naturally from cognitive faculties seems more probable on theism than atheism for the simple fact that if we knew nothing else about the world, maybe we would think God beliefs would be unlikely, all things being equal. But we have a robust natural reason to uh, believe in these things. So on that general level, I'm willing to grant them, yeah, it may look like this is more likely given a God. Just like before Darwin, things looked more like design. But as we've seen, all of the specific facts— just make it look like it's a total byproduct. It's an accidental feature. Even if it was directed at supernatural agency, it would it would yield false positives almost all of the time, uh, just because of the ver- how varied religious and contradictory religious beliefs are. So I think the specific facts just force a reevaluation in the other direction. 
given what we know about how these faculties operate, it's way more probable on naturalism than theism. And for the simple reason that God is all-powerful, right? He is not restricted in the way that he could produce a God faculty in us. The fact that he would design one that errors most of the time, that only gets us to the most hazy notion of the supernatural and looks the exact way we might expect the universe to look if there were not a god, I think it makes it clear that is way more probable. The belief-forming faculties that we have as we have them are far more likely on naturalism than they are on theism. Can I just end with a quote of his from his mm-hmm. Born Believers book? Because I want this, people to marinate in this one for a while. At the end of his uh, book on developmental psychology, for most of the book, he talked about his child, the kid research and all that stuff on how do you raise a kid? What should you tell him then? Or how, do, how are atheists? How do we explain them? So here's a little quote from – this is on page 200 if you want to look it up. Atheists are more likely to hang around with other atheists, further amplifying possible error. Atheists happily share that what? they are atheists in public settings, whereas believers in gods, ghosts, and spirits are less likely to share their commitments. I, uh, what, what, I, I have no idea where he's getting that from. What? He's been hanging out with secular faculty too long. I think he's talking <laughs> yeah. about a, like a uh, conference. They're in the yeah. minority and then atheists shout around at scientific yeah. conferences and then the believers have to sit there silently. But dude. Yeah. Wow. As a general statement. Wow. <laughs> That's Apparently he's revealing. lived in a in West Michigan. Huh? Oh wait, yeah, he has. Now his his co-author works or, at Calvin or, College or listened to political. He went to Calvin College or listened oh, to pol- political speeches or uh, read the newspaper or wow, that's a doozy. Uh, and as far as like compounding error, if if you ever go to a party, a cocktail party full of Christians versus one full of atheists, which I've been to both. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you right now which ones are more contentious about the most minor thing that you could yeah. – sky is blue resolution. How do you know? How do you know the sky is blue? It's just a function of your own eye. Which one are you likely to hear that type of pushback yeah. from? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, compounding error. All right. Um, I think it's settled then. Let's uh, turn to some polyatheism. This week in polyatheism, we turn our attention to one of the great heroes of Celtic myth, Cuhulin. Since the story of Cuhulin is so epic and totally bonkers, quite frankly, I'm not even going to try to cover it all today because I couldn't do it justice. Instead, I'm going to break this up into three-part polyatheism miniseries. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Cuhulin, though not a god, is the son of a god, kind of. Sort of. His birth story is actually one of the most complex ever, and that's saying something because heroic birth tales often become very elaborate thanks to a mashing together of multiple traditions and so forth. The closest to a coherent narrative for the birth of Cahulin I can come up with is this. His mother, Dektara, goes off with her father, uh, possibly her fiancé as well, and a group of hunters from her father's kingdom to go hunt down a group of magic birds. All with me so far? It starts snowing, so they seek shelter with a couple of peasants. The peasant woman gives birth that night simultaneously as her horse gives birth to two foals out in the stable. The next morning, Dektara and the hunters find that everything has disappeared except the newborn baby and the two foals. She takes the child home, raises it as her own, 
and it dies very soon. First dead baby. Is this Game of Thrones? <laughs> it, uh, it is a in fact. Stolen babies, death, yep, no, yep. Sounds to me like Game of Thrones. Uh, then the god Lu uh, visits her and tells her that um, that child was his son, and guess what? Thanks to the little homunculus that she swallowed earlier that day, she's now pregnant with the same baby that just died. Wait, what? Yep, That's yep. really gross. Mm-hmm. She drank out of a copper cup, and a little tiny homunculus jumped into her mouth from there, and then... Just started all over again. Started the whole thing all yeah. over again. Cool. Now, when the rumors start that her father is the baby daddy, she induces an abortion. Oh, my God. In, out, in, out. Make up your mind. Uh, that way, she can get married to her husband as a, quote, full virgin, unlike that trollop Mary. Now, is, that, is that how that works? You get, uh, you get an abortion and you're a virgin yeah, again? I did not know this. That's going to make some Christian girls' head spin. <laughs> um, so she gets married, gets pregnant soon thereafter, and gives birth to a son whom she names Satanta. Satanta is... Amazingly, somehow, the son of the god Luf and not his mother's husband because – and not enough people are aware of this. When it comes to Celtic myth, reincarnation is a really big part of uh, some of their beliefs. Hmm. So you have this child who dies and comes back as itself in another form and then dies and comes back again. And we see stories like this all throughout Celtic like uh, British Celtic Isle myth. Celtic or yeah. like Norris? Or this, what? Is, this is uh, Ireland. Oh, OK. This is, in fact, Northern Ireland. Uh, it's part of the Ulster cycle. Did James Joyce write this story? Because it contains a lot of Joycean <laughs> yeah, nonsense. Yeah, it, uh, it certainly could have. This is the same baby from earlier, even if logic would dictate that he's probably the result of the carnal union between his newlywed parents. But no, um, dad is stepdad and real dad is the god Lou. Satanta becomes a heroic figure at the ripe old age of five when he inadvertently starts a war between himself and 150 older kids. Or 350s, as one source calls it, because those crazy, cult, the crazy Celts love their numbers so <laughs> much. They love three, so rather than just saying 150, it's 350s. As he's battling them, he's overtaken by a warp spasm, which is as good uh -huh. a word as any to describe what happens to Bruce Banner when he becomes the Hulk. Satanta hulks out in a way more disturbing way than just turning big green and ripping his purple pants. His hair, each of his hairs, starts to burn like a sparkler. Oh. His bones spin around inside his body. One eye gets sucked back into his head while the other falls out along his cheek. His mouth opens so wide that his lungs are flapping in the back of his mouth. Wow. Now, how any of this is helpful in a battle, I could not possibly comprehend. I, I'm pretty sure I'd run the other way. That, well, that is true. Clean <laughs> house. <laughs> like, holy, maybe not today. It, there's even more elaborate explanations, too. There's, it's just insane. Um, so he cleans house with the not-so-monstrous monstrous little boys until the king intercedes and tells him that all he really needed to do was ask the boys' permission to play with them and then everything would have been fine. So Satanta is restored to normal after being dipped in three successive buckets of ice-cold water by a bunch of naked maidens, which seems like kind of a waste they're, they're, on a five-year-old, but uh, yeah, sort of. 
Yeah, apparently that's what it takes. Now, his true test, however, is waiting for him just down the road, both metaphorically and literally. When the child is about six years old, his stepfather invites Satanta to join him on a visit to a distant friend and neighbor called Kulin. Satanta is busy playing with the 350s boys and says he'll catch up in a little bit, um, because good parenting means letting your six-year-old wander Northern Ireland alone. Yeah. So once Dad makes it to Coolin's house, he's totally forgotten that the boy was following behind, and so the house is locked up for the night, and Coolin lets out his guard dog. Sometime later, inside the house, they hear the watchdog barking and then lunging into combat. And suddenly, Stepdad remembers the little boy and realizes it's too late and what awful tragedy is about to happen. The men inside the house can't even bear to look out the window for fear of having to witness a dog slaughtering a little boy. Fortunately, for everyone but the dog, that is not how things shake out. Satanta bests the dog in combat by grabbing it by its throat and then bashing it against the wall. Or in another version of the story, he throws a ball to the dog, and the ball goes into the dog's mouth and all the way out its rear end, <laughs> pulling its intestines out with it. Have they made yeah. these into cartoons? They this need is... to. This needs to be Well, it sounds a like movie. those infancy narratives of all the other, like, God figures, Hercules. like Hercules yeah. and yep. Jesus. Jesus, Absolutely. like, extending the boards for his dad. I'm just picturing right. that. Hey, fetch. Hey, fetch. Yeah. <laughs> Doreen? He's, he's got a good arm, that kid. Uh, Satanta bests the dog, and then everyone comes out and finds him standing over the dead dog. Um, while relieved that the boy is fine, Kula no longer has a dog to protect his assets. So he starts freaking out, and Satanta says mind you, six years old, says that he will raise another dog of the same litter um, to take its place. But in the meantime, while that dog is growing up and becoming a watchdog, he will serve as the personal watchdog of Kulin. He is then given the name Kuhulin, meaning the Hound of Kulin. Kuhulin doesn't simply protect Kulin's home, though. Um, he goes on uh, to become the renowned protector of all of Ulster, which is the northernmost county in Ireland. And, of course, Cahoolan's story doesn't end there. Uh, it goes on to feature all those familiar hero tropes, such as the inevitable murder of an illegitimate son, Yay. men experiencing labor pains, Ooh. a cattle raid, hmm. and a bloodthirsty otter. Ah. But we'll pick up on those next time um, in Polyatheism when we take a look at Kaluan's love life. And then we'll finish off two episodes from now with a look at Kahulin's greatest triumph and untimely death. To be continued. Uh -huh. That's where they film Game of Thrones is Northern Ireland. Oh, Do yeah. they? Yeah. Oh, I thought all it was the, like the, Romania. Well, they split some of the sets some up because of the, of the Khaleesi stuff is in the be, desert, and Jon yeah. Snow is always in a freaking glacier. But then right, I think right. most of the like the <laughs> King's Landing and stuff with the greenery. That's yeah. Northern Ireland. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. It's very lovely up there. You hear the Northern Irish joke. So there's an American there who's on vacation, and this is during the Troubles, of course. And he's walking through, you know, there's barricades and barbed wire and everything, and he doesn't understand. So he's walking through there, and the guy with a mask jumps out and says, "Stop." I can't even try to do a proper Irish accent. Oh, yeah, yeah. damn. I Are was waiting Protestant for that. Are you a Catholic? Yeah. And the guy goes, uh, I'm, I'm an atheist. I'm, I'm an from atheist. America. And the, guy, and the guy says, Are you a Protestant atheist, atheist or a Catholic, Catholic atheist? atheist? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oldie but a goodie. Um, hey, let's uh, wrap up here with some Stranger Than Fiction. 
the Satanic Children's Big Book of Activities. <laughs> now available. Um, this is, once again, uh, as one of our – I think it's one of our, our mutual friends on Facebook commented on this story. Uh, the Satanic Church are the best trolls. Oh, like, my they gosh. Are so, they're, great. they're great church state trolls. They are. They're great at this. And now um, – Previously, I think we talked about this on the show, but maybe not. In Florida, a judge ruled that um, religious groups could hand out materials at public schools, including whole Bibles, including yes, whole Bibles to children, all sorts of stuff. What were you saying? Lee? And the, when freedom from religion objected, yeah. they're like, everybody could do it. Exactly. Everybody? So now the Satanic Temple, um, it's the same group, by the way, that petitioned for the goat-headed statue in Oklahoma yep. that we talked about. And I don't know how that's going, actually. Which was classy, by the way. Oh, it's a, it's a gorgeous it's statue, oh, it's too. it's beautiful. Um, now, they have decided that since anyone can distribute materials, they are going to distribute this activity book called the Satanic Children's Big Book of Activities. Um, lots of red crayons. <laughs> here's, a, here's a quote from a uh, Salon.com article quoting a Raw Story article from the Satanic uh, Temple spokesperson. And if he didn't change his name to this, this man was born to be a Satanist, Lucian Greaves. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he had um, yeah, he His real name is probably like, you know, Joe, Joe Bob. Yeah, of course. Um, he says, quote, The organization would never seek to establish a precedent of disseminating our religious materials in public schools because we believe our constitutional values are better served by respecting a strong separation of church and state. Okay, I, I agree with that. Moving on, he says, however... If a public school board is going to allow religious pamphlets and full Bibles to be distributed to students, as is the case in Orange County, Florida, we think the responsible thing to do to ensure that these students are given access to a variety of differing religious opinions, as opposed to standing idly by while one religious voice dominates the discourse and delivers propaganda to the youth. So they are distributing... The Satanic Children's Big Book of Activities, um, rather than saying, you know, oh, we believe in a separation of church and state. We're not going to do anything. The Christians are always are already handing out Bibles. You can't let them be the only game in town. What sort of activities would you do with Satan? Uh, you can download the PDF of this. It's, it's, it's great. It, it's, by the way, uh, they call it the Big Book. It's like so six pages. They have this uh, adorable little cartoon uh, boy and girl, one with a goat head and uh, the other with a, a pentagram. By the uh, way, the boy's name is Damien and oh, the right. little girl's name is Annabelle. Yeah. Perfect, right? And they have all sorts of activities. They have a jumble, a word jumble. Yep. Uh, and uh, it, it says on it, uh, these bullies are mad and afraid of things they don't understand. Help Damien use inclusive language to help yeah. diffuse the situation. And it's, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mostly very, about conflict resolution. It's a very positive <laughs> yeah. thing. Um, I, I love this. Because as a Satanist kid, you're going to be encountering yeah. lots of conflict that you need to This resolve. is the first page. It's, it's You find six different things in the picture. But Annabelle is spreading knowledge and helping to dispel fear and ignorance by demonstrating her satanic ritual to the class. Find six differences to help her, and it's a and she's girl. got a little hood, like her hood on, and there's doing a frog her, leaping yeah. out of a, a pentagram on the floor. Um, it's adorable. There is a dot to dot where you can make a pentagram. Yep. Um, just a coloring book of of a study. 
a picture of uh, Annabelle's study filled with satanic literature. I believe with a picture of uh, – um, What's his name on the wall? The founder of the Church yeah, of Satan? Yeah, Antoine LaVey. Yeah, Antoine LaVey um, sitting with a couple of women, one of whom is wearing a mask. Um, it's it's very adorable. And in the jumble in word search, the words are like friends and love and yeah. happiness. Empathy, is, justice, yeah. reason, freedom. And there's a maze to find the Necronomicon with your yeah. dog Cerberus. <laughs> I, Guys, uh, these folks are great. Um, yeah. I, I really do uh, adore it. And I mean, they they know they're going to piss people off. That's the point, absolutely. And uh, but but it's funny because the the activity at book itself, they really made sure that the only thing that could possibly be offensive about it is that is the name satanic. Satanic, yeah. Uh, there's nothing else to so the games you know, are all very people are going to sound pretty PC. silly when they uh, when they attack this thing. How dare they make my kids find friendship yeah, in a jumble? They can't you know? really mine this for anything bad other than well, I, <clears throat> it promotes doing satanic rituals. Yeah, there's a recent survey by Pew Forum. Uh, the, which we quote a lot because they have good religion mm. surveys of the population that talked about the parental values. And so they gave them, there's like, you know, a dozen different values and they asked parents to rank order them like, you know, things like responsibility. Everybody put that as like number one, teaching kids, responsibility, creativeness, obedience, whatever. And so they broke it down though by religion and political orientation, all the other demographics mm. and not surprisingly, if you've listened to the show, the ones that characterized people who tended to be more conservative and religious were – I think the top three were responsibility, obedience, and hard work, mm-hmm. and then curiosity and like, independence the at the bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. Whereas liberals and like not the unaffiliated, I think – they didn't break it down specifically by atheists, but right. the people who were less religious had much more of a, a mixture of things like empathy – uh, mm. Autonomy, uh, curiosity, curiosity yeah. yeah, and so and so they were differentiated by mm. like the values of raising kids. In fact, some people recommend that instead of if you want to measure people's authoritarianism, it's not specific to religion, but like just their level of authority. That child rearing philosophy is a good way to oh, go. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Because it asks them to idealize what should kids know mm-hmm. in my ideal world. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not a Satanist. I find a lot of their stuff not. Not deplorable, but it's a very selfish kind of uh, uh, it's mindset. It's basically Ayn Rand with a bunch of – Exactly. Rituals. I, yeah. Yeah. So but. I'm I'm not a fan of it in that way, but I, I do appreciate what they're doing here. Yeah, I'll get behind them and, on this uh, and, and they're putting out a positive message because uh, Satanism is so misunderstood and uh, we've talked about the satanic panic uh, multiple times before on the show. So this is good, and hopefully, if nothing else, it gets people talking. Uh, by the way, the one thing about this Florida ruling that I don't care for is that um, all religions, even atheists, can distribute material. And okay, it's good, but it's also now atheism is being lumped in with religions, which leads to other issues. I'm guessing whatever atheist material gets handed out, I probably wouldn't like it too much. Either. That that's yeah. There's a lot of. You know, there's a lot of atheist stuff out there that's not great, including a lot of other podcasts. But that's beside the point. Let's uh, – <laughs> I'm not naming any names. And, and certain uh, atheists who have learned how to make themselves into horrible monsters by using Twitter. Tweet yourself right, as uh, Reggie Watts says. <laughs> 
We will be back soon. In the meantime, you can write to us at doubtcast at gmail.com. Check out our blog. Write comments at uh, doubtcast.org or freethoughtblogs.com slash reasonable doubts. Also, um, mind if I mention this? We do have a donations button on oh, the website, yes. and that's now more important than ever because our yeah. cost has gone. Please, we're ever so hungry. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we've had wonderful donations in the past and people who continue to support the show, but we actually now have uh, a much more overhead for producing the show. So if you could um, donate – Whatever you can. If it's a well, buck, if it's five bucks, it's if it's getting so cold out these days. Yeah, we're we're not in serious trouble at the moment, but no. we're gonna have to at some point. We're gonna have to start asking more in order to not get there. And, and <laughs> since we don't ask often, I feel like I'm not imposing. Yeah. But you know, there it is. Um, and uh, of course, um, you can always, if you're interested in booking Justin or Jeremy, if he's willing to do a debate, you can contact us at doubtcast at gmail as well. Um, and Luke will come to your party and uh, dance. I rarely leave the house. You know, if I'm going to debate for you, you just got to strap me to a gurney for like the first <laughs> – the three hours before the debate and make sure I don't have any alcohol. Oh. Boy. And then as soon as it's done, you have to feed me a lot of alcohol. <laughs> strap me to a gurney first. Yes, of course. Um, so we will be back soon with more Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission.